The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Ashley. And we are The Articulate Coven. Ashley, let's just imagine that you find yourself with a thousand-page novel. It's the first in an expansive trilogy. Your main character is actually joined by her 12 immediate ancestors as co-protagonists who we watch live out like this long-term plan by their family familiar spirit, who may be a little more than he seems, actually. He's got his own backstory, too, but you know what? We'll save that for the second novel. We also (laughs) introduce you to a centuries-old secret organization that studies and seeks to understand the paranormal, has proof of vampires, Mm -hmm. immortals, ghosts, demons, psychic and more. Finally, there's an interesting male protagonist that's not part of either of the above stories, and yet he totally is and always has been. You got eight episodes of a TV show to adapt that first book for TV and launch not one TV franchise, mind you, but hopefully several, including at least one based on that secret organization. So, of course, the thing you do with your fifth episode (laughs) is to set up a bottle episode where you put your three central characters in one building, you light the house on fire, you stab your combined male protagonist. That's that's the way that you, you set everything up. Sure. It makes perfect sense when you think about it. Sure, sure. Sure, sure. But oddly, what's so strange is that the beginning of this episode is the part that I like the most. (laughs) Oh, this episode's all over the place. Here's the thing. It, no, it's so, and we're going to get to all of it, by the way. We are the Articulate Coven. We are the, your uh, original fan community and podcast for Anne Rice's Immortal Universe is brought to you by AMC. Particularly right now, we're talking about uh, Mayfair Witches, the season one, episode five episode entitled The Thrall. Uh, although if you go back to our old episodes, we've talked about Interview with the Vampire. We've talked about the movies made on Anne Rice's books in the past and yes. uh, as well as the first, what, five Vampire Chronicles. We've talked about the first mummy book uh and we've got more coming soon so um tonight we're going to talk about the thrall and we're going to get right into it because there is a lot this is a big big episode in some ways and yeah that's what i find myself with is my little rant that i wrote because honestly it's this is an amazing book and this is an amazing opportunity to adapt it i've said before on this show you know, we're not going to see another adaptation of this, at least for a decade. Honestly, probably not in my lifetime. Right. So this is our shot to get this done. And by God, they've just wasted so much time, plot, interesting characters for new and occasionally interesting developments. This episode is beautiful. It's honestly a pretty good episode of television if you divorce yourself from all the subject matter yeah. or the, the source material. But I'm just super frustrated by what's not in this show. It's 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 so someone in our Facebook group asked and and very validly because we rant and I mean we were raving about how fantastic interview was and and we supported so many of the changes. I mean we pretty much supported all the changes that, that they made to that and why this feels so different. And I think so much of it just comes down to it it I think it's the storytelling feels disjointed and discombobulated in a way that makes me afraid that that these showrunners aren't as 
invested in the source material as the showrunners of interview. So some of the changes that they make aren't quite as thought out as the changes that were made to to our vampires. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. And I also think not, we discussed this, I said this once before, we're not as comfortable with the source material. So we can't maybe sometimes see in depth, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they know way more about this than we do. And we're just not really seeing the the depth of the changes they're making. I don't know. But I think it. what what worries me is it feels more like the first, the first scenario. So I think that's why we're like, why we are struggling against this one so much because it is it's now it's starting to feel like it's, it's like that Game of Thrones feeling where you're like no 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 don't why aren't you telling this part why didn't why did we go there instead you know it's like that <laughs> like knowing what was written knowing what's still to come and knowing that that changes sometimes they're making are making the future storytelling difficult yes yes I very much agree with that. I here I'm going to get to a positive as quickly as I can because this comes very early in the episode. Uh, I mentioned this previously when we were talking about the book, but Cyprian calls out. We've got a, a little, I think, a foreshadowing of something that's going to come in the show itself. Cyprian says that he loves snow in a place where there can never be snow. We are absolutely getting snow at Christmas time for the big finale of this show. Now, whether that's this season or next season, I don't know. Which, by the way, we haven't mentioned it, Ashley. We did officially get a confirmation on season oh, yeah. two for the show this last And guys, I'm, I'm excited. I'm pumped for it. Like, do not think that I am, am, like we said, we're not to the point of hate watching or anything like that. But, um, and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm having a good time watching it. I, like, when I can, when I can let myself go a little bit, it's, I can really, I can really enjoy it, which I really got into this episode a few times. It wasn't as good on the second viewing, I felt like, which I, I, that's disappointing. But the, my first viewing in particular, especially the beginning, I was like, hell yeah, this is wild. I don't know what's up or down right now. I'm so confused. Um, yes, I, I'm excited for season two as well. And I don't know now you, you mentioned this last episode. I don't, we don't know now where they're, it seems so obvious previously before we started watching the show where they would break season one and, re- and now i have no clue where this thing is right, going to get to by the just, end of season one and moving into season two yeah we're like i feel like we're like uh we're like uh maybe like four, 300 pages into the book right now and we're ha- we're more than halfway through our episode so it's like ooh, they're either gonna rip through some storyline real effing quick here or we're gonna stop way before we expected to Yes. Yes. Uh, anyway, I'm, there we go. A positive Cyprian called out the snow. And I think that's the writers calling out the snow, which happens in the book. It's like a really big moment in the book. It is something that does happen in new Orleans. I lived in new Orleans for three years, happened twice while I lived there. So it absolutely happens. And boy, there you go. Yay. Mrs. Miss Spalding. I'm excited for what you've done here. (laughs) Please give me snow. Please don't, please don't break my heart on that one. Uh, but Ashley, we're, we're here again. We're 10 minutes into the episode before the characters wake up and realize that they're in a Groundhog Day scenario at right. all. And again, when you know how much ground there is left to cover and how much of these characters and these storylines and these histories we've yet to even crack open at all, it just feels like wasted time. And it's weird because within the episode itself, they're teasing more and more of the backstory as we go. We're getting hints dropped about, we've had Julian mentioned, we've had Anthem mentioned, um, we've seen 
Uh, we've seen Stella's name on the tombstone. You know, like we're getting all of these references. Uh, Stuart Townsend's in this episode, so we're getting all these like these like whispers and hints of this really in depth history that we know these characters and this family has. And so it, it it's like, what what are we doing? <laughs> you're, you're so you're gonna tell us the story or you're not, or you're gonna or you're not. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Ashley. Other than just like TV watcher anxiety reasons, why would Cyprian carry the knife around after they discover it? She, you know, she finds the knife, come, brings it up to him and says, oh my God, I think I might have stabbed you. And he says, well, let me touch it. There's no reason to guess. And he says, no, it was Carlotta. Carlotta tried to kill you. I got in the way. Uh, and and then he carries the knife around for the rest maybe, of the episode. I kept going, Maybe for protection? <laughs> What's he going to do? Maybe for protection? I don't know. Because the crazy Carlotta's running around that place. (laughs) No, you definitely cannot stab Lasher. But crazy Carlotta's still running around, and they don't know where she is. That's a good point. You're right. They don't know where Carlotta is. So I'd rather... That makes a little sense. Someone who's not actively dying of sepsis should probably have the knife instead. Yeah, right. I just kept thinking, like, are they carrying it around because they think they need to test it or something? Like, it's not, you didn't get bit by a dog. You don't need to test for rabies. Is that magic? You know, Is like, it a magic knife? If you get bit knife? by a dog, you got to collect the dog. Yeah. Well, I mean, it turns out to be a magic knife. Yes. But, yes, it uh, does. Well, anyway, unless, okay. That's a good transition, Ashley. Let's let's talk about the level. And we've talked about this a little bit. Our our fans, our, our listeners in the Facebook group especially and the Discord group uh, to a lesser degree, which, by the way, if you want more conversation about these shows in this universe, check out the links in our show notes for our Facebook group if you're a Facebook user, or if not, our Discord community. Both have active conversations about the books and the shows and other media that you might be interested in, all sorts of fun stuff going on there. But a lot of them have been talking about the level of, of paganism, the level of actual witchcraft, quote unquote, the level of, you know, spellcraft that seems to be at play in this world of the TV show that really just frankly isn't in the books at right, all. It's like right. and didn't do that much research into witchcraft, honestly. Like the history of uh, witch trials are sort of brought in there a little bit and uh, a little uh, quite a bit of like British folklore and you know mythology, but basically none. Honestly. But really, only as it relates to our witches. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and really, only as it relates to our our Mayfair witches. Like it's not in like a generalization of like here's generally some history about witches. <laughs> you know, it's not like that at all. It's like very specific to you know you to the what our our Mayfair witches are going through. So yeah, it's interesting. I think maybe that's to appeal so the, to outside out like non book reader non book readers. I think maybe it's to appeal to that sort of like to give people an expectation of like of of some sort of like witchiness as we you know. Hundred percent. I was thinking in my head, oh, this is they they want to appeal to the discovery of witches folks, right? And they want to appeal right. to the, you know the people my age who watched the craft when they were in high school. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, more than that, honestly, Ashley, it occurred to me last night, it's a little bit of the Doctor Strange crowd, right? Like, people expect a little bit of fireworks and, and you know, sparkly kung fu from our witches. And if you had only these, like, psychic powers, which is really how these witches are presented in the books, that might just not play for our... It's kind of like we argued about our vampires being messy in Interview with a Vampire, right. where in the book they never spill a drop of blood. 
But TV viewers would not get that unless right. you, unless you had somebody explain. Oh, these these vampires always drink. They're so and nice and tidy. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, and yeah, it would look exactly. eventually I mean, it would look weird across, to us but it too. Play right on the screen, and it would look weird to us too. Like that's the thing you think you might yes. want that, but it, that would look fucking weird. It would be like here's these vampires, like killing people and we don't see any blood at all like because it's they've got really good suction i don't know that's that's absurd and it would look silly it's cool when you read it but i don't want to see it that way (laughs) also imagine imagine the mouth foley noises that you'd have to come up with jesus christ on tv people with the misophonia would freak out that is that is not ASMR appropriate. I would be that would be terrible. God. So so but if you're if you're only listening to this podcast and only watching the show though, you should know in the books the witches just really aren't like this. You have a handful of of characters in the witch series and the vampire series and you know throughout Anne's books that do actual witchcraft or spellcraft voodoo mostly you know you merrick is is from the voodoo tradition so is david talbot honestly that's where he's dabbled in real magic is right from, from voodoo and so that's the world that you delve into more than you know herbs and uh, uh this sort of like western tradition or of f- the, the female witch <laughs> fucking hydroponic book about female witches hydroponic herb garden in your basement <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> when we um that was wild to me i that just like and i didn't even really oh, catch it until the, the whole, second there's so many levels oh it's so great but yeah i mean i i had a good time watching this episode i was really like when i watched i watched it the first time on friday i watched it again this morning and i was like I had a really good time last night when I watched this. I'm kind of excited to watch it again. And then it it just didn't play as well on my second viewing. And I was kind of disappointed. But um, but this one really held my attention more than some of the other ones have. I really felt like they were building some really some good tension throughout this one. I care a little bit more about Sip now than I did. I, I still don't know that I care much about Rowan. I, I care more about Cyprian too, although I had a very strong question that just kept reverberating in my mind. Why couldn't he have just been Michael Curry? Why couldn't we have met a Michael who met his Aaron Leitner or whoever brought him into the organization who did that earlier before Michael went and met Rowan? And, you know, in the books, they come together first and then the Talamasca meets Michael. But what it, what would have happened if they had met Michael and the Talamasca was what dried Michael out from his alcoholism? That could be Cyprian. I understand the race change, honestly. Oh, yeah, I I'm happy with that. Like, I make this cast more diverse please but that please, doesn't let's. need to change his name there right. are a ton of african americans with irish descent in particular in new orleans someone right. who grew up in new orleans who's generationally you know and of cyprian's age again he could he, anyway i just i wonder why you needed to change it why did yeah. this have to be a wholly new character? And this episode in particular played that out. I do care more about him now than I do before. I do think there are interesting things to be found in his backstory. Like we mentioned last week, he, he references other people's memories are cleaner. Boy, there's something in this guy's past. Odette is such a big uh, character here, right? And Odette doesn't exist in the books. But it just makes me think, 
Why couldn't this have been Michael, right? Just yeah. like we got a different Louis in the show well, than actually, Louis in the books. And we loved that Louis more, honestly. Right. I kind of have a thought about it, but it's real, real spoilery. So I don't know if, okay, if so I should say it now we'll or if I should that wait. At the end it. Of this episode. Yeah, I have a theory yeah, on so that. Put that it just at the end yeah. Of the episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. Um. So this episode though brought to bear something else that, and they mentioned it a couple of different times, specifically in the uh, post episode episode insider part. Uh, Spalding mentions that. Lasher has powers in this house that he has nowhere else on earth. Then also, we get some moments with Stuart Townsend, for instance. When Stuart Townsend appears to Sip, he's when he finally recognizes Sip and sees him and says, oh, you fell in love with her, didn't you? He doesn't like that. Don't die in this house. Don't die in this house. Okay. Oh, that was Let's so scary. For a minute. Stuart, Stuart Townsend is from the books. I don't believe in the books, though, that Lasher is the reason that he died, which is what's no. implied by that exchange that they have in the books. I'm pretty sure Carlotta kills him. Yeah, I think I think I think it's Rolls more him up in, a, in a rug. Yeah, he ends up in a rug in the attic. Um, I'm pretty sure is where he ends up. And yeah, Car Carlotta definitely killed him. So this house. But I love the idea of like. I you know how I love this house and I love it as a, I need it to be a character and that really came through in this story in this episode big time for me yes you know it did come through in this episode and I and and I, I honestly this is one of those changes that I think I can get behind it's a little alarming when you first hear the book in the book the house is not magic it's not a magic no, house. it's full no. of bad memories it's been full of powerful psychics for generations right there is a familiar spirit that lives in it but the house itself is not magic here clearly the house is some sort of center of power in some way and I gotta tell you I gotta think I'm here for it it's a little bit American horror story more than Anne Rice but I, I don't think I mind it, honestly. I am totally here for it. If a poltergeisty shit, I'm here for it. I really, really like it. I like a haunted house. I love a haunted house. And I love, I love this house in this story. It just, to me, it always, I know it wasn't supernatural within the book, but the way it was so, you know, so... Anne and her beautiful way with words just described and how lovingly Rowan spends time fixing it back and she and Michael spend time fixing the house back and making it, you know, restoring it to its glory days because it's fallen into such disrepair and it becomes such a such a thing in the book. And I am really, really excited about the way that they're exploring that in the show. Uh, speaking of haunted house, Aunt Millie. We get an Aunt Millie reveal here. Okay, so we have joked about... Oh my God, she's a ghost! <laughs> yeah, we've joked about this. She she hasn't been named so far in the show, really. She hasn't been introduced to anyone. We've talked about, like, what's the deal here? It's kind of weird. Like, is this even... Are they trying to play it like this is Carlotta's girlfriend and not her sister? What's going on? No, she's a ghost. She's a she's fucking a ghost. ghost! I okay. loved it. I loved it. I was like... Oh, that's so scary. That's so scary. There okay, are some legit fair, creepy again, things in, in books, this. None of this is quite creepy. None of the Mayfairs do this though. It, no. it breaks a lot of what the whole point 
of this is supposed to be for, at least as laid out in the books. In particular, here's my question, and I'm assuming we're going to get answers to this. Why in Jesus's name, literally in this case, why would this Carlotta especially allow or help her sister to stay in corporeal form? Like, what are, what are you trying to do other than showcase you know, spookiness. I'm wondering what is Spalding getting, and I'm hoping she's got an answer for that because the Carlotta that you've built here, this fundamentalist Carlotta, would not help hold her sister in the the real world. Like she would Ooh. let, she would want her to go on to the Ooh, afterlife. But I think I think she, she would, unless she's doing it because she she can't she can't be without her. She doesn't want to be completely alone in that house. You know, with mm. <laughs> with Tetra, she doesn't want to be completely alone in this with world. Him. You know, she's and with him, she's already you know kicked Cortland out. She's you know it, they're by themselves in that place, and I I kind of feel like it's um because she's she has to be doing it on purpose because Millie says I can't like what does she say I can't I can't hold on without her or something like that like she can't stay yes, by herself I can't hold on without her. Yeah, so Carlotta's clearly keeping her there, helping to keep her there. And maybe it's just because Millie wants to stay. Maybe she's afraid to go. I don't know, but I really liked it. I thought that was kind mm. of a cool change. Um, and it does make it feel a little more creepy, a little more scary, a little more horror movie-ish. And I'm, and I'm here for that, too. I like that vibe. I don't mind this being creepy and scary. It should well, be. And and like we talked about in the book episode, especially the the characters of Michael and Aaron in some cases being kind of interchangeable and you could you could see how they could could quash those two characters together definitely the same thing here Millie in the books plays basically zero role right I I'm like literally racking my brain right now to think of what is her end in the novel after Carlotta dies what happens to Millie and I really I literally cannot remember what happens yeah, no, I, mean, I don't I, either. I remember the scene between Carlotta and Rowan vividly, but I don't I think, know what happens after uh, Carlotta's death, honestly. Does she stay in the house? I think she might just stay in the house with Rowan and Michael. But I can't remember oh, maybe exactly. maybe so, because Rowan's, I mean, uh, uh, Michael's, Michael's aunt, aunt also moves in, yeah, right? So yeah, maybe yeah. aunt, maybe maybe Michael's aunt and, and Millie become It's like Old Ladies Club on the happens. porch, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about costuming here because this is an Jesus ongoing thing Christ. for us. Here's one where they nailed it. Rowan's dress. Rowan's dress is great. Good job costuming. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. She looks great in clothes. Like, she looks amazing in clothes. I'm really glad they <laughs> took her out of those fucking brown pajamas. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah, she looks fantastic in this <laughs> <Yes>. episode. And <laughs> Sip looks good in this episode. I mean, he's half dead most of the time, but like he looks pretty hot in this episode. But they're doing our guy, Lasher, so dirty. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I, I didn't hate his tux when he first shows up. But then throughout that scene, I just you're you're right, it's like he doesn't fit in his clothes or something. And in particular okay, so I've heard people say that he's not attractive. That Folks, isn't true. In, in Boardwalk Empire Listen, in Boardwalk Empire, he is literally disfigured. He's he's a war veteran, and and part of his face is missing. He wears like a porcelain mask to cover his wound on his face, snaps on with his glasses. He is still fucking smoking in that show. <laughs> Many women think so, and it shows up. Like, it, he's a very attractive man. As we've talked about, he comes from a dynasty of Hollywood lovely, lovely folks, okay? Yeah. Him and all his people are good-looking people. <laughs> the, the haircut, 
that they do to this dude and the clothing that they hang on him are doing him no favors. And yet still, this Lasher Rowan scene, after she says goodbye, she she tells Lasher to get rid of Sip and you know send him to safety, and they're alone in the house. When she puts on the dress and Lasher's in his tux, and they're wandering around together, they go into the outside, they do the, the fireflies, they resurrect the fox, all the things. That is such good work. I think it's probably the best overall scene in the whole show so far. It fits. It fits their characters. It fits what happens in the book. It fits the, the way that Lasher courts his witches. Yes. And the nature of Rowan's interest in him particularly. The reviving of the fox. The connection to the fireflies. This idea of amplifying her own ability to give and take life. That's what Rowan finds seductive from Lasher, using him as like a, a an amplifying device for her own power. And that's what he's selling in all of these scenes. Yeah, yeah. It, it really, you know, and their chemistry really picked up in this episode for me as well. And it's like, I think someone in our group mentioned, like, she can't just be... St- she can't just be running around looking scared and breathless all the time. Like we cannot have this. It can't keep happening. Some things have to change. So she can't just be afraid of Lasher. She has to start feeling like she can either, like either she's into him or she's into him. And she's also trying to figure out how to fight him. And, but really, you know, taking again, like we say her complete lack of agency, this episode, it felt like they're trying to, trying to grab hold of that a little bit more. I'm really hoping that carries on with the next episode as well. Um, I'm not sure because, you know, we go from a scene, a episode where it's just basically her and him for half of it, at least half of it. And then we're going to have, you know, a house full of witches next episode, according to the scenes ahead. So who knows how much individual agency Rowan's going to have in this at all. But at least she's surrounding herself with powerful women. I Listen, I am so worried about this witch hunter storyline. The only thing that has me excited is the fact that there are a lot of really cool uh, women actors that are going to show up in that scene. And then also characters like, you know, Tessa, for instance, and Jojo that we like, like there are, I think going to be characters here that I will find interesting. It just doesn't have anything to do with this book story. No, all, it really I doesn't. Don't, I don't it really get it. Doesn't. I don't get it. And again, it could be like, this could be a way of, of uh, reaching out and kind of expanding reaching out to that expanded audience, you know, maybe having storylines that feel familiar, like a modern day witch hunt, you know, would be appealing to non-book readers. I don't know. Uh, the the Lasher Rowan stuff, you're, you're right though. It was good. It's a little sexy. It's a little spooky. It's a lot magical. It honestly, it felt to me like it came from someone else's adaptation of this. Like they stole <laughs> a scene out of somebody else's <laughs> script. Shoved it in the middle of theirs. Anyway, whoever wrote that, I hope they write some more episodes in season two. Um, Lori Yancey in our Facebook group, though, had the quote of the week for me. Oh, God, yes. So I wanted to share it with everybody. Whoever lestatted up Sam Reed needed to be the person who lashered up Jack. (laughs) Yes. And please and thank you. Y'all have a conversation about it. My God. Because he is hot. He's objectively hot. That's an objectively good looking man. I don't know. 
Yeah, both it's of bizarre. these guys. We talked about we talked about how perfect the casting of of Jack Houston was for Lasher. I would it was the number one thing that I was excited about for the show. It's not him. It's it's costuming and makeup and and hair that have failed him. Honestly, I really I really feel that way. The writing's not doing him a lot of favors, but those three departments I think could be doing him some even without the writing. Um, okay. Why is Sip going to be in trouble if his sister is found in this apartment? I don't know. Um, you know, is it like the your Talamasca family doesn't own this place? It's so Sip that was so weird. He's, I use this as a safe house sometimes. This isn't, you know, this is this is his place. Right. It feels like his apartment. Like he lives there. He's very comfortable there. And his sister comes to visit him there. So obviously know. he I, fucking I, lives I don't there. Get that. Yeah, it was weird. It it was weird like Yeah, right. Like, exactly. And she like she's not allowed to know she well she obviously doesn't know what he does but it's like something he would be in trouble like that's so fucking weird i i don't don't know i didn't get that either that was very strange and the implication was like maybe she'd be mind wiped or or or, you know disappeared or whatever was sort of the way that he was like like you'll be in trouble too anyway i don't i don't know i i don't get that hopefully they'll explain that again it's one of those things that like when rollin jones and his team with interview pick up the talamasca how are they going to respond to moments like that i don't i don't know ignore it i suppose sometimes well and maybe the new orleans office is Um, just a fucking mess Maybe the New Orleans office is just a mess and no one talks about it. They're like, well, it's a shit show down there. So (laughs) when we get to Paris, it'll all be fine. That's right. Um, That's right. Genuine question here, Ashley. What do we gain for the character of Rowan by having her kill Carlotta after an entire episode stuck in the house, as opposed to doing it at dinner at the conclusion of last episode? The way that it plays out in the novel, they come to dinner. It's supposed to be cordial. Carlotta starts kind of unloading on her, as she does in the episode. Your mother was a burden. She was Lasher's whore, et cetera, et cetera. And Rowan reaches out with her brain and kills her right there. That's how it happens in the novel. What yeah. do we gain by delaying it a whole episode and, and making it a, like, I mean, here Carlotta was going to kill Rowan, tried to do it with the knife, then tried to do it again by talking her into jumping off the ledge. Well, I think part of it is to show, is to show like how at the, you know, at the beginning of it, she tells Lasher, she's, I'm not going to kill her. That's not me. Even though she's been killing people all over the place and a bunch of birds, but she tells them, I'm not going to kill her. That's not me. I, I, I'm not like that. But then she has to come to terms over the course of this episode with the fact that she is like that. You know what I mean? And I think that that's part that's part of that journey is to kind of show how how to delay it shows that she has to start accepting that about herself, and that you know spending this time with Lasher, and and she has to understand that she's being kind of pulled in and 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 sucked into this whole thing. So I think it is to just kind of show. a a bit of a transition for the character um, and to give us a little bit more time to kind of, to build these, just kind of build chemistry and build a relationship between these three characters that are in this bit of a love triangle. Mm. Since it's not the fucking book, Uh, (laughs) we we got to spend some time building up the plot line we created. Best acting though of the whole season so far, and I bet it's the best acting all season long, my guess is Beth Grant with her delivery here on Oh I should have killed, killed you when you, you, when were, a you baby. were a baby. <laughs> she Bilbo Baggins that so hard. I loved it. Her face just snapped into a fucking otherworldly expression. It was so good. <laughs> 
I will say, so here's the thing. They have clearly set this Carlotta up to literally be Lasher's antagonist, right? She, like, like she spent her entire life effectively. She tells us that Lasher came to her when she was eight. She's now whatever she is supposed to be in the show, 80s, 90s. She, she has spent 80 years fighting Lasher mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And in that battle of her life, she's been turned into the exact thing that she thinks she's fighting. You know, she thinks Lasher is a killer, a manipulator, uh, you know, a user. Well, guess what? This Carlotta has used up her sisters, manipulated her family and, and the town around her, honestly, and killed multiple people. Yep. 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 I mean, when you make your, I mean, she's got to be fucking exhausted too, because she's been winning, you know, like that's the thing is she's fighting, she's been fighting Lasher and then keeping Deirdre under control. She's been fucking winning. So, you know, this is a really, she's had a real bad, like week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> like since that new doctor showed up, fuck man, Carlotta's life just fell apart. Man, okay, I have expressed my my love previously for these episode insider segments, especially like Roland Jones, I feel like did a really good job on it, but I, I like them with Breaking Bad, I like them with the HBO shows, they do this, you know, I, I like I love the behind insi- the scenes. Insider segments, period. Yeah. Here's what I don't love, though. I, w- I, w- I wish somebody would explain to Miss Balding what they're supposed to be for. Um, these are supposed to be for behind the scenes info. What were we thinking when we did it this way? Some thoughts on why you felt the story needed to head in this direction. Maybe a little hint of where the story is going. Spalding just basically goes, isn't this all very interesting and spooky? No, no, it's not really Spalding. No. And I don't feel like, and I finished. (laughs) There's something about these segments that feel very like apologetic in a way. Like it's not, it's not like being said so, but it's like, this is what we're giving you. Don't you love it? <laughs> she said at the end, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this one, she said, what is the next episode? Like, I hope the audience will wonder. Yes. Miss Spalding. We are all in fact wondering yeah. what will the next episode be like? Cause so far we've been surprised every time out <laughs> each, each and every time I will say there's a, um, this, this episode had some weird ass editing in it too. Like some really odd editing choices, um, which I, I always notice, <laughs> but one of them made my husband laugh out loud while we were watching this earlier. And it was when they cut like, and it didn't even make sense. I guess it was to show that she went downstairs, but she could have just walked downstairs. But it was like a cut from outside the house, and they like zoomed into the branch, and then the branch moved up. And as the branch moves up, we re- reveal that she's now in like the sitting room on the first floor. <laughs> it was so strange. Okay. You know what that looked like? All right, so the to, the two references that that immediately called to mind for me were, and I don't know if they did this throughout the show, but I know they did it early on. 24 used to have this like oh. segmented framing that they would do where they would show you like multiple things at the same time in different boxes, right? Yeah, but that And then but that also didn't... Uh, the, original, the original Hulk movie 
would do this too. And the and the Hulk movie was trying to the the Ang Lee Hulk movie with uh, Eric uh-huh. Bana. They were trying to mimic comic book panels, right? Because comic book panels do this very much, where you have like something from one scene that forms the border of the panel that then leads you to another panel that is in a different place. Right. right but this didn't Absolutely do that. Isn't. You can use it artfully. This didn't make any. No, this you're didn't right. make any like goddamn sense. <laughs> and then we show the we show the spooky tree, and then they're in they're inside again. And, you're and like, it was like a was swipe. Outside? Like it no was so was weird. No one's left. We can't leave. Yeah, if you show me shit in squares because the world's gonna end in 24 hours and Jack Bauer has to save it, that's fine. And don't give me some <laughs> weird tree branch bullshit just to try to look artful. Lord, people made me start paying attention to editing. <laughs> Ashley, Ashley, Ashley. I'm I'm walking out of my bedroom at some point earlier this week and Kelly asked me, she's sitting on our bed, like scrolling through her phone on something, and she goes, Hmm, did didn't did you used to watch twenty four? And I was literally like walking out the door. I was through the door and I stopped dead in my tracks and I like slow turned around and I was like have I not told you my 24 story? <laughs> and she goes, I don't, I don't want to, he- I don't want to hear your 24 story. I just, I wanted to know if you had watched 24 before. <laughs> <laughs> What's your 24 story? So, okay. Our, our mutual friend, Andre Constantinescu. Oh, Andre. Up, Andre. Uh, casting director, casting director extraordinaire down in yes. uh, Texas these days. Genuinely Chaos. just the uh, best he's, person. He's working, by the way, Best person Amazing in the world. Amazing guy, but he's he's running a bunch of the he's the extras casting for the Taylor Sheridan shows. Yeah. Oh, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um anyway, he and I he and I were working outdoor drama in Ohio. Uh, we were doing Blue Jacket together and I had it was like a Friday night. I had gone out to a party after the show and was hanging out with friends. He had gone home to watch something on TV, we had been told. We come in at like two AM, three AM, me and our other roommate, Nick Harrison, again a mutual friend of ours. <laughs> Nick and I walk into the uh, right. Nick and I walk into the apartment, and Andre is there on the couch, and he looks at the two of us, and he goes, "Guys, I just watched the first episode of Twenty Four, and I think you really love it. I'll totally watch it again with you. (laughs) Would you guys? Would you guys like to watch it now with me right now?" And I was like, Andre, it's like two o'clock in the morning, man. You're going to watch, we're going to watch TV now. You're going to rewatch the episode. He's like, it was really good. I think you guys would like it. I was like, all right, sure, turn it on. Ashley, the DVD, because it was back in those days, we had DVDs, one DVD at a time from Blockbuster. He had the first DVD, had four episodes on it. We watched all four episodes before any of us went to sleep that night. We immediately, when we woke up the next day, we immediately went to Blockbuster on our way to the site and got the next DVD (laughs) and watched that the next night. We watched, I don't know, the first two or three seasons of 24, we watched it in like a weekend, basically, at at night after our, our summer theater job. That's so awesome. I love those first few seasons. Oh my god, me too. Well, any Wershing died. I'm I'm here for beep boops. I'm here for squares. Oh my god, I'm here for beep boops. I forgot. Yes, that's why it was. Yeah, it's what's why everyone was talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. What was the actress's name? Annie Wershing. Yeah, she was. uh, She was uh, uh, so good. Renee Walker on that show. God, she was badass. And she did one of the voices in uh, Last of Us. She played Um, Tess. Yes, yes. That, and see, I didn't know that. I'd never, I've never played the video game. I'm very excited to get into the TV show, specifically because I've never had the right uh, 
I guess, console to play the video game. Anyway, uh, two things I want to talk about before we wrap up this episode, Ashley. Uh, first and foremost, we're going to get to your spoilery uh, contemplation about the character yeah. of Michael and the character of Cyprian and why one could not be the other. We're going to get to that in just a second. Um, I want to wrap up, though, by um, talking a little bit about that season two renewal and what it means for the larger immortal universe. We've mentioned previously the uh, overall executive producer has has referenced they've got three other series in production in addition to these two. We know Interview with the Vampire had already previously been renewed for a season two, right. but that was before the big budget cuts came for right. AMC. So we were a little wondering, okay, well, we know we're going to get a season two, but after that, what do we get? This season two was not promised. This season two was not guaranteed. The critical response to this show has not been as much. I think the ratings are actually a little better than Interview across the board, but it's a close thing. And the ratings for Interview were not huge on standard cable. Um, you know, it was really a lot about the impact that it had on AMC+. Yeah, the streaming. But I think this renewal, this season two renewal, shows they are going to continue to put money into this investment of the Anne Rice Immortal Universe. They are not pulling back from that. The budgets may scale a little bit as we move forward, and we may not get quite as fast expansion into multiple spinoffs, et cetera, et cetera, but this is not going away. The budget cuts did not hurt us. I think we're going to keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm really glad to see it. I, like I said, I was thrilled when the news dropped to only be about halfway through the season and already get a renewal um, for, for a time when streaming services are really having a bit of a struggle uh, trying to figure out how to offset the loss of the ad revenue that, that they lost from you know the cable channels that they're losing from their cable channels. So it is really good to see. It's very heartening. I feel... I feel really good for the future of our our vamps and witches. You know, we're going to have a good time regardless. So it doesn't have to all be as good as interview. Oh, you know, I said for years, the place that we wanted to get to with the MCU, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we want to get to the place where it's like, James Bond movies. You can have a bad James Bond movie and it doesn't mean you hate James Bond now, right? They'll bring right. out another one in a year or two and you'll go see that one too because they'll make some good ones, they'll make some bad ones. Same thing with Star Trek movies, right? There's, there's a ton of them. There are some great ones. There are some fine ones. There are some terrible ones. Yeah, That's they even, just the way it is when you have a long-running franchise. Yeah, the even-numbered Star Trek movies are all fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rule of thumb right there. Um yeah, because this is we love this world and we want to play in it. We want to get to exist in it. You know, even the even things that have been released by Marvel that a lot of people have been like, eh, that was terrible. I'm like, whatever, I had a good time. And I think part of that too is because I've always struggled with comic books as as like a to be able to read and 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 retain information from comic books, I can't. My brain doesn't do it right, and I hate it because I really want to. You know, it's not like I'm I'm like a, a snob about that as like a literary media. I think it's awesome, and I want to enjoy comic books, but I just can't. And so these movies give me a chance to enjoy those storylines in a way that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to before. And so people that look at a big ass book like The Witching Hour and are like literally accessibility. Yeah, I don't, I can't, I don't want to sit down and read that. I don't have 50 hours in my, you know, of free time to listen to this audiobook. So it gives them a chance to kind of at least get a, a hint of these stories. And I think that that's cool. I think that that's cool and fun. And that's what we should want for other people. But we should want that for other, other fans of, of, of this type of storytelling. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, like this one, especially even when it hasn't been good and it, and it hasn't been good in a lot of places, right. it has always been interesting. It continues yeah. to be interesting. So that's better than a lot of TV out there. Honestly, there's For sure. so much gray, boring nonsense. For sure. And I think part of it was just because we were so like enamored with interview. It does kind of sound like we're, we're, we're all of us are hating on this, but I think it's just, it's just kind of a comparative thing in, in our heads because it's all still so fresh, but you know, we're going to, we're going to watch it. We're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy the second season and then watch whatever else they give us over the next three series. Amen, sister. We'll be here for all of it. Um, all right. So if you don't want any spoiler speculation, now is the time for you to dip off. Go uh, join our Facebook community. Go join our Discord community. Uh, go join the conversation and go watch episode six next week and rejoin us uh, in our next episode. For those that do want a little spoiler conversation, a little spoiler theory uh, discussion, here we go. We're going to dive into it. All right, Ashley. My question was, why couldn't Cyprian have just been Michael? You said you had a theory. What I have. What do you think? A theory. And it involves Odette. Sweet, pregnant Odette. And what if mm. that Odette becomes the surrogate for our Lasher? <laughs> that was my thought. So here is my one big caveat for that. And it's something that we've talked about, uh, again, spoiler for the books, but in the tale of the body thief over in the vampire chronicles, we have a uh, white character that transfers his consciousness into the body of a, a character of color. In this, in this uh, case, I believe he's of Indian descent, a, a, a brown skinned man. And we talked about the fact when we talked about that book, that when you translate this onto screen, I bet they're not going to do a race change for a character. <laughs> it seems sort of dicey to take Un a white unseemly? character and put him in brown skin for the rest of that character's existence. Yeah. And here, too, we would then be taking Lasher and putting that into a little brown baby. And I don't, mm, I don't know about that, Ashley. I, I don't know. I don't know about that either, but I mean, I don't know. It was just something that popped into my head on my second watching this time. Cause I was like, man, she's already there. She's super I, cute I and pregnant. She doesn't connect it to that baby at all. Like she's just a surrogate. She's just a surrogate. Yup. Yep. I do think, I do think there is definitely something to that. The fact that they've called this out as a surrogacy pregnancy, the fact that Rowan had sort of thoughts on that and a comment that was uh -huh. cold and distant in a way, yep. and again, then it all feels like foreshadowing with the snow, you know, to come. And, and again, we're, we're five episodes in at this point. And if it's timing wise, eight, and if it's going to end in the birth of Lasher, as we, as we supposed before this series goes, boy, Rowan's going to have a short ass pregnancy. I mean, it's short in the books too. To be right. Fair. It is. She it and, is. Yeah. And Michael get married and then immediately are pregnant. And then, she, and then the, the baby grows exponentially uh, fast too. But I don't know, man. I, think, I don't I think know. I think you were onto something. I think that is where this is going. Or some version. makes me wonder, are they going to fridge Odette? Like, Oh, I don't know. That'd be a, I mean, that'd be a, oof. you know, I mean, does Odette survive the birth? I don't know. I don't know. Cause really the only reason Rowan did is because I don't know. She's magic. And then Lasher wanted her to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So like she was able to stitch herself back together and then fed on. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I, mean, I don't know. Listen, 
we saw some wounds magically healed in this episode, right? Oh man, that so sword getting yanked out of her do body, the same thing though. With down the road, if the Talamasca circles around her and helps her. Well, and that's true. They've been established as pretty <laughs> intense healers now, you know? Like, that was wild. I was like, what the fuck is she pulling out of that? And then she pulled a whole damn, a whole damn sword out of herself. It's like, well, that is a very large knife. I, I don't know, man. You We talked about the confidence that we had that this show would deal with race in a you know, a, a positive way that we would, we could be proud of without it being just a flippant, you know, side storyline or callously dealt with as it has been in the past. Uh, and we felt that way. We felt that confidence because of the way that it was handled in interview with the vampire, but boy, I don't know, man, I don't have confidence that they're going to do that. Right. I, I do don't think know. You're probably right though. Odette is going to have a baby. That's, that's going to be a little, a little Jack Houston. <laughs> I mean, I don't know for sure, but it sure feels... I, I don't know, guys. I could be totally wrong. It's just complete speculation station on my part. But I just was like, it all came well, surging happens, into my brain. you heard it here. And That's right. <laughs> if it doesn't happen, Thank she was God. just joking. Don't even worry about it. It was just a theory. <laughs> it was a terrible idea that hopefully no one will do. Oh goodness. All right. Um, well folks, that, that's our thoughts on episode five of, uh, the Mayfair witches. And we are very much looking forward to the next episode. As uh, Miss Spalding said, we don't know what it's going to be like. We, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what might happen. Uh, we'll be back though to talk about it though. We will. <laughs> we will. We're going to talk all about it. We will it. be back to talk about it. Even Listen, even if it's Witch Hunters, we'll be back to talk about it, I promise. <laughs> Until then, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Ashley. And we are the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. 